Some things in life, the longer you live, don't get easier, they actually get harder. I think I had this idea and this concept, um, as I am an aging man, (laughs) as I approach the, the ripe old age of 40 years old this fall, later this year, as I get a little bit more gray in my beard, um... I thought this, I kind of had this basic assumption and belief that the longer that I lived, most things and many things would actually become easier, not harder. Um, So for instance, I think that's true in some ways. So for instance, if you looked at my finances and our family's finances today, as opposed to about 10 years ago, they would be way better um, because of systems and some structures and some attention and some detail and some things that we've set up, some things that we've organized so that some things financially are actually easier than they were 10 years ago. There's some things I don't even have to think about because there's some systems that are operating that are actually doing some things I don't even have to take action in. And some things, as you progress through life, get a little bit easier rather than harder. But, but many things I've found um, actually get harder. They don't get easier. So for instance, anxiety. I thought, you know what? As I progress, as a as a follower of Christ and as I pursue him and the longer that I follow him, the less and less I will struggle with anxiety and the more I will find the peace of God in my life. What I've actually found, and this is quite uh, interesting and it was initially troubling for me, is that the longer that I live, anxiety becomes even a stronger uh, temptation and challenge for me in my life. It's not because I'm I'm not loving Jesus and following Jesus. I love Jesus more than I ever have. I think my spiritual vitality is more significant than it's ever been. I think I pursue him and follow him, and I'm a mess, and we all are. But I don't think it's because of a lack of intentionality or spiritual growth or spiritual depth. I actually think there's some things in my life that God's calling to me that are higher levels that actually require deeper levels of peace and growth and strength in in the Lord. Um, I've heard uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, he said, new levels require new, or, or require new devils. Uh, there's, there's different things that you've got to walk through. And, and, and I've, I don't know about you, and I don't know where you are today, and I don't know what the context of your life is like, but I would uh, imagine that there's some things, there's some struggles, there's some challenges that you thought that you would be passed by this point in your life, and you're hoping to, to minimize the challenges, but in some ways, some of those challenges and some of that anxiety and some of that stress and frustration is actually growing. It's not waning. There is a reality, I believe, that some things in life the longer you live, are harder to find, not easier to find. Here's the title for today. It's this, Finding the Peace of God. Finding the Peace of God. I'm in Philippians chapter 4, if you would join me. Uh, We are in a teaching series through the book of Philippians, and we're coming to a close. It's just a couple more um, installments of the teaching series. And we're in Philippians chapter 4, which is the final chapter today. And uh, final chapter, and we have been looking at a group of believers, a group of Jesus followers in the city of Philippi. This was written a couple thousand years ago, and they are walking through challenge. They're walking through struggle. They're facing adversity. There's significant anxiety. 
They're wrestling with problems that are external. They're also wrestling with problems that are internal. They've got opposition from the outside, outside of the community of God's people, and they've got opposition from the inside, even with, who would ever think there would be opposition on the inside of God's church? But it's the, it's the way that it works. It's, and their ability to face external opposition and internal opposition will dictate the quality of their lives, the health of the church, and the prosperity of their mission moving forward. And so Paul is writing this letter, encouraging these believers who are in an incredibly challenging, hard situation, very impoverished, minimal resources, how to make it and how to get through. And he addresses what it, what it means to find a peace to these believers, which even would help us to understand that even Christians have to be reminded and understand what it looks like to find peace in your life. I'm in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse four. And this is what the text says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So by the way, every season, every circumstance, every aspect, every part of your journey, every step along the way, every juncture, there's got to be rejoicing. That, that doesn't mean that you can't lament, that you can't have a hard time. That doesn't mean that you should be ignorant of your circumstances or minimize the, the problems. But throughout all the seasons and in every aspect to have a sense of rejoicing in the Lord, not rejoicing in your circumstances, but rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I will say, he says it again, Paul often repeats himself so that we can hear and listen. Again, I say rejoice. Verse five, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then he says this, as he begins unfolding the way to find peace, he says this, the Lord is at hand. Some of your translations may say, the Lord is near. He, he begins by helping them to understand that the Lord is hand. And then he says this, therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's what will happen. And the peace of God. It's, it's a divine peace. It's, it's not, you can't find this on social media. You can't find this at, uh, you can't find this at the burger joint. You can't find this at the bar. You can't find this in a relationship, a marriage, or your house, or your career. It's a divine peace. It's a peace that only comes from God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, just absolutely unexplainable, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we find the peace of God? How do we find the peace of God in, in life's challenges and life's struggles and, and all the all the hardships and all the adversity, how do we get to a place where we actually have an inner sense of peace from God? And here's the first thing that we have to recognize is this principle that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The first step, the first thing that you've got to believe, the first thing that you've got to identify and to recognize is that God isn't distant. He's not in some foreign galaxy. He's not a million miles away. He's not a tied up with things that are more important. Nope. For every single one of us, the Lord is at hand. He is at hand. He, he is near. I love the way that Psalm 34, 18 would say it. It says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. 
and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is the doctrine of the nearness of God. It's the nearness of God. Um, it's, it's, it's not that God is some kind of deity, that he's, some, he's, he's in, in heaven, he, he's on his throne, he's running things, he's got his angels, it's a big organization, and he's trying to accomplish a lot of things, and so he's working on the big stuff. If we could just leave him alone and get, get, get on with our lives. No, no, this is the nearness of God. That God is sovereign. He's unbelievably powerful. He's, 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 he's in control. He, he rules over all. He rules the nations. He, he sets up kings and he sets down kings and he's, he's ruling all things and he's unbelievably powerful, but he's also simultaneously unbelievably personal. It's crazy to me that he actually is concerned about me. It's crazy to me that he would be concerned about little old Ethan and my own life and Living on 1709 Carolina Avenue, right, right over here, just doing my little thing. But, but he's, he's actually concerned and, and, and he's mindful and, and that he's, he sees me and he, he knows when I, I go in my house and outside of my house, he knows when I, when I show up and when I'm in my car and when I go here and when I go, go there, he sees me at, at every point. And then he, not only does he see me, not only is he aware of me, but he is actually near to me and he's close to me. He, he is at hand. Steve Cuss, one of, a pastor in Denver uh, who has written much on anxiety. He's actually got a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, which I'm just finishing right now. Um, by the way, we're getting ready to, um, this fall, we're going to be taking a few weeks and having an entire teaching series um, on anxiety, talking about anxiety. He's got this wonderful book and he's got this podcast. I'd encourage you actually to pull up his podcast and to listen to it. It's, it's fascinating. And he's got this Australian accent. And at the beginning of many of his podcasts that where he's not interviewing someone, he, he takes a candle and, and he's got a lighter and, and he, you can hear him, you can hear him light the lighter and then he, uh, he lights the candle and he sets the candle down and, and he, he does this in his Australian accent and he says something like this. I'm going to try, can I try an Australian, can I try an Australian accent? I let me just do, let me just do, let me just do any accent and... If it's not Australian, that's okay. But he, he does, he, he likes, he lights, and he says, as I light this candle, and it's totally not Australian. He says, as I, as I light this candle, I'm reminded of the nearness of God. I don't know how he talks, but, he's, but he says it in this amazing accent. He says, as I light this candle, I'm, I'm reminded of the nearness of God, that this flame helps me to recognize that as close as this flame is to me, God is to me as well. Here's what we have to be mindful of walking through life's anxiety. Both God and danger are simultaneously present. Both challenges and Christ are simultaneously present. What happens in anxiety, what happens in life is we become so overwhelmed by all the danger and all the challenges and all the adversity, it consumes our focus. It consumes our focus and it, it tricks us into believing that God is not near. And one of the things that you've got to do in order to combat anxiety in your life is to be reminded that God is just as near to me as everything else that I'm facing right now. And everything that I'm feeling and everything that I'm going through, God is just as close to me as all of those other things. He is near. And, and here, I'll say it this way. Peace comes 
not due to an absence of challenges, but because of the presence of Christ. That's what peace is. Peace isn't when you finally get your list done and all the bad things are gone. That, that's not peace. Peace is even when your list is long, and somebody's got a long list today, even when your list is longer than you can even manage, even when you've got a long list, you recognize that Christ is even present as your list. He's there. He's with you. And that's where you find peace. It isn't in the absence of challenges, but actually in the presence of Christ. And therefore, because, because the Lord is at hand, then Paul can follow it up and he can say, so don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. And then let me, do, let me just say this. Let me offer a little disclaimer. Um, anxiety right now is an epidemic in our society. I mean, it's, 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 it's horrible. Um, mental health and challenges and... Um, Perhaps it's, as I hear people say that it's, it's the worst that it's ever been in, in, our, in our country's history, in our society's history. Um, and and let, me, let me just say, I'm not an expert on anxiety. I don't claim to be a therapist or professional on that. And there's a lot of different forms of anxiety. So don't hear me say today that I've got some kind of quick formula that if you'll just do the formula, then you'll be rid of all of your anxiety. I do believe that the Holy Spirit can give you miraculous deliverance over anything. And I also recognize that many things in life, God actually doesn't allow us to have quick fixes because it's a part of our journey and our sanctification and our growth. And both of those things are realities. And, and so it's, it's, it's complicated and there's a lot of different forms and I'm not trying to like slap a formula on, on anybody today and help you overcome your, your anxiety. Um, it, it's, it's incredibly uh, complex, but, but Paul addresses it. And, and he's actually a, a person that has a life filled with anxiety. Uh, earlier in, in, in the book, Paul, Paul would say that I'm glad sometimes that I'm able to counter my anxiety and I'm not as anxiety, have as much anxiety as I used to have. He actually says that. There, there's other places in the scriptures where Paul would say, there were some times I even despaired of life itself because of the challenges that I was going through. So he's not a person that's like talking from his like high pulpit above people where he hasn't dealt with any of these things, but he, he understands perhaps more than anybody what it's like to wrestle with anxiety. And this word here, anxiety, if you looked it up in the lexicon in the original languages, the word here for anxiety, it means to have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. I'll say that again. It means to have anxious concern or worry based on apprehension about possible or potential danger or misfortune. So here's what we have to recognize. Anxiety is ultimately about your relationship to outcomes. Anxiety is produced in you when there is some kind of future, some kind of potential, some kind of prospective outcome that hasn't yet happened, and there's something in you that is generating some kind of anxious concern or worry based on that thing, based on that outcome that hasn't happened yet. And here's what we need to recognize. Most outcomes in our lives are by and large unknown. Most, most, you have no clue what's going to happen to you in the next 90 minutes. It is completely out of your control. Now, now you control maybe where you go and the steps that you take and the conversations that you have and getting behind the wheel of your car and so on and so forth. But there are, there's so much of life that's unknown. There's so many outcomes that are unpredictable. Most outcomes are actually uncertain. 
And so anxiety is your body's way of kind of waving a flag or sounding an alarm that something is off. It's basically the way that your brain works is that anxiety is your brain's way of telling you that danger is ahead. Danger is ahead. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the problem with that. Danger is relative. Danger is relative. I mean, it's actually important to recognize that your brain is commuting, communicating to you what it perceives as danger. It's perceived danger. It could be real danger. It could not be real danger. And your brain is designed to preserve you. Uh, your, the goal of your brain is to make you survive. That's why your brain exists. Your brain is relaying to you information that dictates your actions to help you survive for as long as possible. That's why when you drive in the mountains and the road approaches a sharp turn at a ledge where there's a steep drop off, the immediate reaction that your body feels isn't fun unless you're, unless you got something going on that we don't know about. It's not fun, is it? The, the, the feeling is, it, it, it's fear. Now, in, in some senses, that's a healthy thing that your brain is helping you understand that there is danger around you and that you need to be mindful of real danger. And so generally speaking, your brain perceives threats and then communicates to your body regarding that threat. And the point of anxiety is it's supposed to, it's an emotional reaction that's actually supposed to stimulate a physical reaction where some things in your body begin to be triggered. Your heart begins to beat faster. Your blood starts flowing more. You become more alert. More alert you, you become more, you know, there's an ex excitement. That's because that's what your brain is trying to get your body to understand that you're getting ready to step into something that's going to be potentially traumatic. And in one sense, your, your brain is supposed to, to, to do that. That's, that's a, a healthy mechanism of your brain. However, what happens is if we aren't training our brain on actually what is real danger, our brain will be telling us that everything around us is dangerous. Your spouse is dangerous. Your kids are dangerous. Your coworker is dangerous. Your boss is dangerous. Your car is dangerous. The culture is dangerous. The country is dangerous. The president is dangerous. The China is, is I mean, it's just like everything is, 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 you see what happens? If, if, if you're, if you're not, Helping, helping lead and train your brain on, on what is actually dangerous, you'll think, just think that everything is, is, is dangerous. This is why, um, you know, children, children in, so, in some ways, children are so innocent, aren't they? They just, you know, they walk up to people, at least, at least my little Claire Bear. Claire, she's got like no fear. She'll just walk up to somebody and she'll start talking to them and she like loves to talk to them and, and then she'll say some things about their appearance. And I'm like, yeah, stop that. I'm like, hey, don't do that. Like, because she, she doesn't, there's, she's just innocent. She doesn't have, now, now there's something she does, like a bike. She has tremendous fear about, she's, but over in this area, she's just, she's so, so we start, we start in life with a mini, not kind of a blank slate, kind of a, an innocence about us, and we don't really know what is dangerous and what isn't. And then as we go through life and as we experience hardships, our brain is remembering and training to us what is dangerous around us, what is dangerous around us. And because of your childhood and because of the things that you've walked through in your past, your brain has developed a catalog of things that are dangerous for you. Some of those things are real and some of those things aren't. Some of those things are assumptions. Some of those things are beliefs. Some of those things are true. And some of those things are false truths that your brain is telling you that you need to be cautious about. And what happens is we navigate life and as we grow and as we mature and as we, we live through life year after year after year, we get wounded. Things happen to us and 
we get impacted and they hurt and it's, it's hard and it's painful and there's wounds. And this is the normal part of, of growth and wounds are actually necessary for us to, to learn and, and, and to grow. But how you respond to wounds is critical. And so wounds will either make you win or they'll make you worry. W- wounds can, can help you get better or they can actually help you get bitter. And the way that, the way that our life works is we walk through something that, that's hurtful and there's, there's trauma associated to that thing. What happened to us, what that person said, the way that they treated us, the way that we were treated, the, even from a young age, even from an older age, there's, there's things that we, we walk through and they're, they're trauma. So we've got past trauma. So past trauma then in the present produces present triggers. Facing something, walking into a situation, walking, having a conversation, doing this, whatever it is, that something happens and I'm immediately triggered because of something that reminds me of a past trauma. And then the, the past trauma produces a, a present trigger that then uh, makes me think there's a future threat. And, and so I walk through life and we, we walk through life with the trauma that we've been through and then we're getting triggered in the moment and then we're really, really concerned about future threats because of this thing and that thing and this might mean this and this might, what happened to me might happen again and now I'm anxious because of what might happen. It's your relationship to outcomes. And as we go through life, we've got to condition, scriptures say a lot about conditioning our minds and conditioning our thinking. We've got to condition our brain to interpret what is a threat and what is not a threat. So for instance, um, I'm, I'm watching baseball right now. I grew up playing baseball and young kid. I remember my dad, I mean, I was just a young kid and took me to the ball field, signed me up for little league. And my first team ever was the Pepsi bears, uh, Pepsi bears, and based on my memory, I think we won. I can't really remember, but we're, we, we were winners. And, um, and um, I, rem- I remember having to learn baseball, um, you know, being an infielder. And dad, would we'd, we'd go out to the ball field on the evenings and the weekends. And he'd, he'd have a bucket of balls. And he'd take the, the ball and the bat. And he'd, he'd, hit, he'd hit the ball one after another, after another, hour after hour after hour. And I would field the ball and then the ball would, would come at me and I didn't know exactly. And remember the first few times you're trying to do that and it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of feels, feels like, what, what if it hits me? What if it hits me in the face? What, you know, what if it breaks my nose? I mean, all these things are kind of going through, through your head, but then you've got to begin to train your, yourself that actually I can do this and I can. And then as well, you're in the batter's box and you're, you're and there's, there's an object that's flying at your face and you have to stand there like like for instance if if we went out back today and there was a 90 mile an hour fastball that was coming your direction you would probably turn and hide and, and duck but here's here's what a major league baseball a professional does a major league baseball player sees that ball coming barreling at him as an opportunity not an obstacle over the years that player has trained himself that this is an opportunity to do something significant. What happens as we go through life is we've got to train our brain to recognize what are real threats and what aren't real threats. Can I just ask you today, as, what are you fearful of today? What are you concerned about today? And the, that thing, whatever it is, is, it, is that a real threat or is it not a real threat? 
And then whether it is real or not, how are you reacting to that thing? What, what, is, what is that thing doing in, in you? Are you concerned about the outcome of what that thing is? So I'll, I'll say it this way. Anxiety is produced when we have fear regarding outcomes. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the meeting. And I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what they're going to say. And I've got this, I got this job opportunity that's, that, that, that's coming up. I've, I've got this um, interview. I've got this review. I've got, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And because you don't know what's going to happen, there's some anxiety that's beginning to produce because of some fear because you don't know what's going to happen about that thing. Anxiety is produced when we have fear regarding outcomes. Here's the difference between anxiety and trust. Trust is produced when we have faith regarding outcomes. Trust is when, considering all potential outcomes, you still have some level of comfort and confidence regardless of what the outcome is. That's why the scriptures, the most repeated command in the Bible is fear not, don't be afraid. It's like, it's easy for you to say, God, you can see everything. You know everything. You know all the outcomes. I don't. It's easy for you to say. And God says, even when you don't know what the outcome is going to be, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Psalm 56.3 says this, when I am afraid, when I've got fear, when there's anxiety, when there's turmoil, I will trust in you. So here's, can I give you a little, uh, can I give you a little pro tip? of the way that I do this. My pro tip is that in life, and it could be a variety of different things, but in life, I go ahead and envision um, potential outcomes. I potential worst case scenarios. So I just go ahead and go there. Like, for instance, what if I lose my physical health? Like, what if tomorrow, what, what if next week, what, what, if, what if this year something happened to me, some kind of disease, some kind of cancer, some kind of car accident? What if I lost my physical health? What, 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 what would I do? How would I respond? What if I lose my financial stability? What if there was some kind of cataclysmic, unforeseen event where we lose our financial stability? What if something happens to one of um, our staff members? What if something happens to the church and what if something happens to a ministry and what, what, about, what about our facility and what, what about, what, what, if, what if I lose the church? What if I lose my role in the church? And the even greater, what if I lose a child? What, like, it happens, it happens to many people. What, what if I were to lose, what if, what if I were to lose my wife? To say you trust in God means you're confident in God's ability to care for you in light of all potential outcomes. That's what trust is. Trust isn't like, well, God, if you'll tee up my life just like this for me, then I'm going to trust you. No, 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 no. That's not what trust is. Trust is giving God the keys to your life, giving God the pen and the paper and saying, God, whatever you write, I trust you. I trust you regardless of what happens to my physical health. I trust you regardless of what happens to my family, what happens to my children, what happens to my career, whatever. God, I trust you. And it's trusting God even in light of all outcomes, any potential outcomes. That's what trust is. And you don't actually trust God until you're actually okay with him writing the story of your life. And when you trust in God and you're okay with him defining the outcomes, it actually produces in you faith and peace, knowing that it's in his hands at the end of the day, not in your hands anyways. Yeah. 
That's how it works. That, that's how it, it, it works. So, so what do we do? What, is, what does Paul say? What does Paul say about what we do with anxiety and how we, how we find peace? Well, he, he said this in verse 6, that we shouldn't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here, let me give you a, a, few, a few things. Let me give you kind of three, three points from this verse that are going to build on one another. Here's number one. Prayer is the path to peace. Prayer is the path to peace. It's important that the anxiety that you're facing, the challenges and the struggles that you're going through, it's important that you name it. What what, what will happen is that we can have a tendency to internalize it, think about it, not actually name it, speak it, verbalize it. And then sometimes, some of you are actually good at verbalizing and articulating the thing, but you're only articulating that to people around you and not God. So what we have to do is we have to name that thing and we have to externalize it. Prayer is actually talking to God. It's communicating with God. So the way this works for me, I don't know how you pray. I don't know if you've got a prayer closet or your your secret place or what you do. Some of you, it's in the car. Some of you, it's in the closet. Some of you, it's on the back deck. Some of you, wherever it is. For me, it's, it's, it's walking. I, I, I love the prayer walk. And, and I'll just walk, and I'll just, I'll just say all the things that I'm thinking. God, this, and God, that, and this person, and that person. And I'm, I'm just, and the, my neighbors probably think I'm a freak. You know, I'm just like talking, and, like, and, and it's not that weird. But, I, but I'm talking. I'm communicating to God. I'm like, God, this, this situation, and God... That there's a new season of dance that's coming and it's going to be very expensive, God. And I'm really ticked off about it and I'm kind of frustrated. And I wish for crying out loud, me and my wife could get on the same page. She's not here. Um, <laughs> but as I begin to name it and as I begin to externalize it, I'm connecting with God about my problem and my challenge. I'm connecting with him. I'm letting him in. I'm making sure that he is near, that I'm aware that he's near, that the Lord is at hand. And we're going to do this together, God. And I'm pretty mad at you too. I'm just going to let you know that. And he's like, thank you for letting me know that. God's not afraid of your, he's not afraid of your anger and all your stuff. And he knows every, he actually knows what's going on already. So just externalize it and verbalize it. And Paul says, the path to peace is prayer. I mean, I'm like, if you like yoga and you like reflection and you, you like working out and all those things are wonderful things, but the path to peace is prayer. You got to connect with God. And, and here, here's what else. Not only this, but um, I, I found this in, in verse six, prayer with gratitude is the path to peace. It's another layer. We're going to do layers here. Are you ready for layers? Prayer in and of itself, Paul says, is not the path to peace. Paul says prayer with gratitude is the path to peace. Uh, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So as I name the thing that I'm going through, I'm thanking God for the situation. He has allowed the situation for whatever reason, and he didn't tell me because he's not required to. He allowed this in my life for my good, and even in the hard things, even in the harmful things, I'm going to thank God for exactly where he has me and what I'm going through. So God, I'm really angry, and I'm frustrated. In this situation, God, we're going to be broke. Don't you see me? This is a problem. 
But as I round the corner and head down the next street and continue the walk, God, I thank you for this situation. God, this is really, <laughs> I'm using dance, but I'm thinking about other things. Um, God, this, this situation is so hard. It's so freaking frustrating. I don't know what to do, but God, you know what? I thank you that you let this happen. I, I thank you that you are allowing me to walk through this because you are only allowing me to walk through this because there must be something you want to do inside me. So even in the pain and the struggle and the hardship, even though this thing royally sucks, God, I thank you for what I'm walking through. And I'm going to have a spirit of gratitude even in the midst of my trials and my struggles. And I'm going to overlay everything that the enemy gives me with gratitude. Whatever he throws at me, whatever is hard, I'm going to overlay that with gratitude. And whatever the enemy throws at me, he cannot steal my spirit. He cannot steal my posture. I'm going to have gratitude over everything. And as I do that, that's going to be the path for peace. So number one was prayer is the path to peace. Number two is prayer with gratitude is the path to peace. And then here's number three, one more layer. Somebody say one more layer. Prayer with gratitude is the path to unexplainable peace. He says, this is a kind of peace that surpasses all understanding, which means you are arriving at a state spiritually and emotionally and relationally with God in the midst of your circumstances and situation that doesn't even make sense to you. And as I practice prayer, and as I have gratitude over my circumstances, and I walk with God and I commune with God, he grants me this path of peace that's unexplainable. Once I name it, once I offer gratitude for it, unexplainable peace enters my life. Unexplainable. And then he says this in verse 8. He goes on. Finally, brothers, he's getting near the end. He's one of these pastors that closes his sermon four times. And he says, finally, he's going to say finally two or three times. And he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. The word here for think, it actually means to uh, think about or to reason about or to ponder or to have reasoning. Um, there's an element of our lives that is necessarily emotional, that God created us as emotional beings. God is actually an emotional being, and our emotion is, is healthy. Typically, our emotion is signaling for us things that we need to be aware of, but you have to complement your emotion with thinking, reasoning, being intentional with your thoughts, being intentional with your, your thinking, that you just can't let your thinking go wherever it's going to go. 
but you got to be intentional with it. I, I love what Proverbs says in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Here's what that means. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's for your good. Just because you have a thought, just because you're thinking of something doesn't actually mean it's for your health. Sometimes the thoughts that you're thinking are actually going to produce death in you. They're going to kill relationships. They're going to kill your finances. They're going to kill your physical health. They're going to kill some other things. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean that thought is actually valid. Uh, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So every thought must be submitted to Christ. I don't submit to my thoughts. I submit my thoughts to Christ. My thoughts are not God. My thoughts are not my boss. My thoughts are not my master and my Lord. They must be submitted to Christ. And so I'll say it this way. Either you will test your thinking or your thinking will test you. And Paul says there's some things you got to stop thinking about. There's just some things you got to stop thinking about. And I, I get it. I get it. Wake up at 3 a.m. and it's like you haven't slept a minute. And the wheels are just turning and turning and, and turning and all, all the thoughts, all the, all the, da- all the downsides, all the, all the what ifs. What if they, what if she, what if he, I don't, all the, all the scenarios, all, all, the, all the possibilities. And Paul says, take control of your thinking. Take control of your thinking and make sure that you're thinking on things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are wholesome, things that are from God, not just thinking about anything that comes into your mind. And then he says this in verse nine, our final verse, he says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Somebody say practice. You got to do it. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You got to do it. You got to do the work. You actually have to obey. You have to take the commands of God and the truths of God and you actually have to do them. You have to do them. Like peace doesn't just come automatically. Like spiritual formation and spiritual progress and health in your life doesn't just come automatically. We know that true to be of our physical life. We know that to be true of our financial life. It's also true of our spiritual life and our emotional life. You got to practice these things. And so here's my, here's my final point. Both prayer and practice are the path to, to the peace of God. Both prayer and practice are the path to peace of God, the peace of God. So I'm doing the prayer, I'm, I'm operating in that, and, and then I'm practicing the things that God has commanded me to do with my thinking, what I think about, and I'm controlling what I can control and not what I cannot control. So let me encourage you with this. Um, I know that for some of you, the anxiety comes quickly, multiple times a day, um, it seems to be unending and it seems to not stop. 
Let me give you a little exercise that I do. Can we do a little practical exercise? Here's a little exercise um, that I call the control exercise. It's a little sketch, and I, I do this on a piece of paper, but I would encourage you to do this. Whenever you're facing a situation and you feel kind of your heart racing or your head spinning or your body, it's a little exercise. Here, here, here it is. Um, take a piece of paper out and, and jot down. Um, we'll just do a theoretical scenario right here. This is the control exercise. So let's say what the issue is. Let's put the issue on it, and we'll just use the scenario of conflict with a friend. And the friend has, um, there's been a, there's been turmoil in the relationship, which is true of every relationship. There's been some kind of challenge, and uh, there's a conversation that needs to happen. There's been a wrong that's uh, that's happened, which by the way, Jesus says that the way that you work through healthy relationships is you go to your brother or sister first who sinned against you and you have the conversation with them. Not everybody else and social media, you go to them first. So, but that's a hard thing to do. And so you gotta, gotta go have the conversation with your, with your friend. And you know that you're meeting, you know that you got an appointment, you know that you're going to see him at community group, you know that you're going to see him. Here's what, here's a control exercise. So on one side, I'm going to list all the things that are not in my control. Well, I can't control their feelings. I can't control their behavior. I can't control their actions. I can't control their reactions. All of that is out of my control. I, I, can't, I can't control the result of this situation. I can't control the outcome. I actually don't know what the outcome is going to be. I, I can't control the future of the relationship. These are all the things that I just need to recognize that I cannot control. They're out of my hands. Okay, now let's, what is in my control? Okay, God, what's in my control? Well, I know that my preparation, I can control. I, I know that I can, I can pray. I know that I can, I can write. I can put some thoughts together. I, I know that I can, I also can control my heart. I can control my, my spirit, my heart, how I feel towards the other person. I, I know that I can control my decisions and I can control my actions. I can control the things that I do and the things that I say. I can even control my reactions. That's my, that's under my control and I can control my words. And so God, as I face this situation, as I walk into this hard challenge, help me to recognize the things that I can control and the things that I can't control. And I'm going to put this situation in your hands. God, I can't pay rent this month. What are the things that you can control? What are the things that you can't control? God, I've got a meeting with the, with the boss that's coming up. What are some things that you can control? What are some things that you can't God, my child has a debilitating illness. What are the things that you can control? What are the things that you can't control? And God, I'm going to give this situation to you, and I'm going to trust that you're good and that the outcome is ultimately in your hands. And I'm going to thank you for this situation. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to overlay this situation with gratitude. I'm going to have a spirit of gratitude over this thing. And I'm going to trust you with it. And I'm going to pray with you in it. We're going to walk in it. And at the end of the day, you're going to accomplish your will through me in this situation. And you're going to have your way. And you're going to do whatever you want to do. And whatever you want to do, I submit to that. And when you do that, you can experience and you can find the peace of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
God, today, as we face so many challenges and so much hardship and so much adversity, God, I just, as we walk through anxiety and sometimes feels paralyzing, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to obey and to trust and to know that you are for us and that you can help us walk through these things. Help us, God, to think on things that are true, that are honorable, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are commendable, that are excellent. God, help us to keep our mindset on these things. We ask in Christ's name.